So we have a few couple quick announcements while we're all gathered. The first is, is if you're new, I do see maybe a couple new faces out there. We have a fancy connect card that you can scan there or you can fill out a little thing, pop it in the box. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to know what you need from us and how we can serve you. Next is we have call and response coming up. That's our monthly scripture study, which is a little different than some other Bible studies. This one you get to actually, you know, hound the lead pastor and ask all the questions you want, all the deep, dark questions that you may have. This is the time to do it. Make him uncomfortable. That's what I want you to do with that. So that's a lot of fun. Seriously, um, it's a great time and it's a really good place to build community around these topics we're discussing. So that's going to be March 24th, uh, Thursday on Zoom. Next up after that, we have our monthly book club, which is every Thursday of the month. Our next book is Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love and Deliverance. So this is by the doctor and theologian Drew G.I. Hart. He is a very profound thinker. We actually studied one of his other books, and this book is all about how we as a church can enter into some of these racial issues that need healing. So this is a great opportunity. Again, it's more of a chance to really just talk and go deeper into these topics and ideas. And lastly, we have a way to give if you'd like. We are a nonprofit 501c3, and we obviously rely on the gifts of people like you. So you can head online for that. You can scan the QR code, or you can use the offering box at the back. So thank you for that. That's all I have. We got Jason's communion thing here, or coffee mug cup thing. So here we go. Thanks, Alex. You can give Alex a hand. That would be okay. Uh, good morning. You guys came back. I keep delivering like these dark, existentially hopeless sermons from Ecclesiastes, and yet you keep coming back. I don't understand. <laughs> well, welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason uh, Coker. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's my pleasure to continue our teaching series on the book of Ecclesiastes. So again, for those of you who maybe haven't been around, quick little introduction. We've been going through a series on the topic of wisdom. We started off in Proverbs. All good there? Started off in Proverbs and learned that if you just get up every day and faithfully go to work and follow the rules and tell the truth, that everything will be good in your life, that you will be blessed and you will succeed. And then that was January. And then in February, we turned to the book of Job, where Job said, whoa, not so fast. It doesn't matter, actually, if you get up every day and work hard and follow the rules and tell the truth. Oftentimes, terrible things will happen to you anyway. And in fact, the reverse can sometimes be true. Sometimes the people who seem to have the best lives are those who lie and cheat and steal and don't follow the rules. So what's good about that? And we talked about the book of Job and how the lesson of Job was that we have to stop making it about our transactional approach to God 
and instead learn to sort of zoom out and see the bigger picture that life is complicated, that it's messy, and that there is beauty in God's creation. And then came Ecclesiastes. And so we've jumped into the book of Ecclesiastes and asked the question, well, what happens when you zoom out on life and look at the bigger picture? And Ecclesiastes says, actually, there are some problems with that too. And so given those problems, what is the point of life? And so that's what we're tackling now uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to jump back into it today. Last week, we talked about how the character in Ecclesiastes, the writer here, who's traditionally attributed to be Solomon, that Solomon said that the first thing he tried to do was sort of jump into the pleasures of life. And last week we learned that Solomon discovered that living for power and pleasure would not provide the purpose in life that he was looking for. That in fact, the pursuit of power and pleasure could destroy us. And that's where we find ourselves today. And so we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes, starting in chapter 1, verse 16, and we're going to look at where uh, the author of Ecclesiastes goes from there. Before we do, would you just pause for a moment? Let's say a quick prayer together before we jump into this passage. God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather here together to lift our voices, uh, to come before you with open hearts and open minds and to be shaped by these questions, by these words, and by this pursuit of wisdom. We ask that you would help us to grow in new, if not uncomfortable ways. That you would teach us to be people who reflect your goodness and your righteousness and your truth. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're anything like Solomon, at some point in your life, you probably asked a similar question and pursued a lot of fun in your life. Typically, this happens around your early 20s when you break free from your parents and you discover that you can actually do things and they might not find out about it and you start to have a little bit of fun, right? And you discover at some point that maybe the pursuit of pleasure is not all it was cracked up to be too. That's a very normal experience in life. And if you're anything like me, the next thing you did after you discovered that just pursuing endless pleasures wasn't what life was all about, is you ran really hard in the opposite direction. You ran really hard towards righteousness and holiness. And in my early 20s, that definitely characterized my life, myself and a few of our friends. We got together and we decided that it was all about pursuing Jesus at all costs, no matter what. We even made t-shirts. Those t-shirts said incredibly uplifting things like, repent. <laughs> Nobody ever did. My favorite one was we made a t-shirt that was meant to sort of demonstrate our radical commit commitment to Jesus. And it very helpfully, I thought, simply said, this is a white t-shirt, black lettering, very helpfully just said, ask me about Jesus. Now I can tell you from experience, the very best way to make sure nobody asks you about Jesus <laughs> is to wear a t-shirt that says, ask me about Jesus. I would be walking through the aisles of the grocery store wearing this t-shirt. And you know how you're like walking in the grocery store and you sort of 
make eye contact with other human beings, you know, and there's that like polite, you, you acknowledge each other's existence, but you don't really strike up a conversation. Only really strange, like ridiculously extroverted people do that. But, <laughs> but you know, you sort of make eye contact with people in the grocery store. And what would happen is like, we'd be walking opposite directions in the aisle. I'd be wearing that t-shirt and we'd see each other. We'd make eye contact and I would see their eyes look down at my t-shirt, and then immediately they would look away. Because I was clearly, obviously, the kind of person they did not want to have a conversation with. I like to think that Solomon has a similar experience here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all excuse me, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied to my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So this is, again, after Solomon has determined that he's going to pursue power and pleasure. Now, here's what you need to know about the book of Ecclesiastes. It does not follow start to finish a kind of logical flow of thoughts. He goes back and forth all the time. It's a kind of ongoing sort of stream of consciousness discourse that he has with himself around this question, what's the point of life? So he's going to jump into this very next thing he does, which is the pursuit of wisdom instead of pleasure. Verse 17, and I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a chasing after the wind. If you remember, we said that chasing after the wind is Solomon's way of saying that it's pointless, it's futile to do it. That the wind is a reference to that breath that we exhale that lasts only for a few moments. So, uh, inside joke, right? So, Solomon says the pursuit of wisdom, much like the pursuit of pleasure, is also futile. And here's what he says that I think is a bit troubling. Verse 18, he says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge also increase sorrow. So Ecclesiastes tells us that much like the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of wisdom is problematic, that it's troublesome. And in this case, what he says specifically is that those who increase their wisdom or their knowledge increase their sorrow or their frustration. That the more you know, the more you understand about how the world works, the more likely you are to be troubled. Have you experienced that? Just before church, another member here was talking to me about how difficult it is every single day after work to go home and to turn on the news and to see so much terrible news coming out of Ukraine. And it's not just the news of people who have been uh, murdered or people who have been slaughtered in what appears to be an emerging destabilization of Europe again. For the first time since World War II, it's, it's not just the people who are dying, 
It's also the troubling realization that despite where we have been as a society, despite where we have been as a civilization, we appear to be willing to go there again. We appear to not have learned anything from the 20th century. That is deeply troubling. That's the kind of sorrow that I think Solomon is talking about here. He's going to unpack it in a little bit more detail. So chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, he says this, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can one do who comes after the king? And what he means is whoever takes over for him as king of Israel. Only what has already been done. In other words, there is nothing new under the sun. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. In other words, wisdom is good. It is better than foolishness. But, verse 14, the wise have eyes in their head, but fools walk in darkness. Yet, I perceived that the same fate befalls all of them. Again, Solomon runs into the problem of death, mortality. Just like it is futile for Solomon to spend all of his life building power and trying to build up this amazing civilization, only to discover that death essentially makes all of that meaningless, so too the pursuit of wisdom becomes meaningless in the end in the big picture because death comes to all who are wise and foolish alike. Solomon's literally asking the question, What's the point of being wise if I'm going to die just like fools do? Again, this is a, the trouble with zooming out on the bigger picture of life, is you begin to see your smallness, your insignificance in the world. Solomon goes on in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and he says this, Again, I saw that all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun... And look, the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and no one to comfort them. And I thought that the dead who have already died are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. The second problem that Solomon finds with wisdom is not just that death comes to both the wise and the foolish alike. The second problem is that as he sees wisdom's failure to resolve oppression, he wonders what the point is. So the problem is not just death, the problem is injustice. This is why we embrace wisdom. It's why we embrace knowledge. We pursue these things so that we can disentangle the wrongs that are done in the world. And Solomon, after a lifetime of trying to do just that, says, in conclusion, I have found that power is always on the side of the oppressor. And he goes to this dark place. We, we've seen Job go there too. If there's no point then wouldn't it be better to not have lived at all than to live and to pursue goodness and righteousness and truth and peace 
only to be frustrated by it, only to see that it is pointless, that we cannot make a difference. This is, of course, where we often end up when we pursue deeper understanding in the world. It's hard to know more and not be sorrowful. It's hard to experience more injustice and oppression in the world and not be frustrated and down and depressed and fatalistic about it. That is exactly what we see happening with Solomon. There is a little bit of a hint here in this passage, by the way, of where Solomon is going ultimately with his wisdom. And I want to point it out to you now and ask that you take some time to think about it in the coming days. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, a few verses later, after what I just read, a few verses after Solomon expresses this existential dread, he writes this, Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil. Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil. Solomon seems to be hinting that when we pursue more of something, that it tends to have diminishing positive returns. Take a look at chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 18, he picks up this same argument. He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There are righteous people who perish in their righteousness, and there are wicked people who prolong their life in their evil doing. Again, frustration with a lack of righteousness and justice. But look where he goes, verse 16. Do not be too righteous, and do not act too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be too wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? And this, by the way, is the great surprise of Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes, having discovered that there is destruction in the pursuit of too much pleasure and too much power comes to the amazing conclusion that there is also destruction in too much wisdom or righteousness. That it is the pursuit of excess that tends to destroy us. And we all know that that's true. Like we all know that if we pursue too much food or too much alcohol or too much work, that we will be destroyed. But especially in religious settings, we tend to be blind to the reality that too much righteousness will also destroy us. This is why some people have asked how in the world Ecclesiastes made it into the Bible. How do we have a book in the Bible that says, do not pursue too much righteousness or wisdom? There are really obvious and fantastic examples of this in Christian history, by the way. The 5th century Christian monk, Simeon Stylites, lived 37 years on top of a wooden pole. 
Because the early Christian monks were obsessed with this idea of asceticism, that if you pursued righteousness and utterly denied your body and all its bodily needs to the ultimate extreme, then that somehow produced more holiness in you. And over the first few decades and even centuries of Christian history, there was this amazing cast of characters who seemed to sort of historically try to one-up each other in suffering. And Simeon Stylites is the perfect example of that. Stylites literally means a pole or a pillar. So this was Simeon who lived on top of a pole with a little platform for 37 years in his life. And the trouble, of course, with that is every now and then he would fall asleep and fall off of the 37-foot-tall pole, which is rough. And so he learned after a time to tie himself with a rope to the top of the pole so that when he fell asleep, he wouldn't fall off the pole. The trouble with that, of course, is that the rope itself began to dig into his flesh and cause open wounds, and soon flies were landing there and laying eggs in his open wounds, and eventually maggots began to feed off of his rotting flesh. I am not making this up. There were three biographies written about this guy. The famous example of Simeon is that when one of his biographers was talking to him, presumably from atop this pole, one of the maggots fell from his rotting flesh, and Simeon reached down, picked up the maggot, put it back in its place, and said, please, Eat what the Lord has given you. It's possible that Simeon was pursuing righteousness to excess. It's not just Simeon, though. We pursue righteousness to excess today when we exert that all-too-familiar judgmentalism and condemnation of other human beings for doctrinal differences of belief. We are lured into believing that if we simply think the wrong way about God, then somehow others will be condemned for it. This is an excessive pursuit of righteousness that is literally destroying us. In this church right now, we have a group called Processing Religious Trauma. It's led by a couple of church members here. And there are people in that group who are processing the ways that the pursuit of excessive righteousness in their lives has caused destruction in them. Sometimes this comes out in the form of purity culture. And the way that the church has tried to police our bodies, and our sexualities. The way that the church has often tried to police women and control them. The way that the church has literally trained us to condemn other people in sometimes eloquent and beautiful ways. It produces real harm in people's lives when we do that. This also is the excessive pursuit of righteousness. And it doesn't stop there. In a church like ours, I think that you would be rightly justified to say that sometimes the pursuit of justice 
is excessive to the point of destruction. And anybody who is concerned with pursuing justice in the community, who advocates for policy changes that would be good for people who are marginalized and oppressed, anybody who has dedicated their life to doing that will tell you that oftentimes it comes very close to destroying them. For the very same reason that Solomon tells us, because when we pursue goodness and justice in the community, one of the biggest brick walls we run into is that our efforts are so meager. They're so small. And we, we try again and again and again to make change, and so little change happens that that can be deflating to our spirits. It's very, very easy to pursue justice in the community to the exclusion of your own well-being. And so we need to remind each other that we need rest, that we need a break, that we need to sometimes step away even from good things. Janelle and I became, Janelle became a leader in the church in her teenage years. Like most men, I was a little slower. But we both became leaders together in our early 20s and were leaders in churches of various kinds in various places for about 20 years until 2010 when we became utterly burned out and walked away from a church plant here in Oceanside. And we didn't just walk away from a church plant. We walked away from our denomination. I walked away from my vocation. Janelle walked away from her vocation. We left church entirely. Because we had given ourselves excessively to the church to the exclusion of our own well-being. And when we didn't go to church every single Sunday for the first year, we woke up, we woke up most Sundays feeling guilty. Now, I know none of you feels guilty for not coming to church because, you know, I'm kidding. But for the first year, we woke up every Sunday morning feeling a little bit guilty. The second year, we stopped feeling guilty. And started realizing, like, Sunday morning is awesome when you don't have to go to church. You can go to the beach. Like, you can, you know, hang out with your kids, go to the park, have some fun, go camping for the whole weekend. About four years into it, we started to miss the community that church could be for us. But it took us that amount of time. It took us about four years after 20 years in leadership after 20 years of giving our lives every single moment of our lives to the church, it took about four years for us to detox from what was, I think, an unhealthy pursuit of righteousness. Your mileage may vary. So this is, I think, the surprising message of Ecclesiastes. Just as we learned last week that the point of life is not the pursuit of power or pleasure, for that will destroy us. Surprisingly, the excessive pursuit of wisdom, righteousness, and justice can also destroy us. 
We have to learn somehow that there is wisdom beyond those things. Somehow the point of life is not power or pleasure or righteousness or justice. That it's something else. This might be very difficult news for those of us who have built our identity around the idea that the whole point of life is to be good to be righteous, to be wise. Solomon challenges us to see that it might be something else. So what is it? What's the point of life if it's not those things? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Until next week. But in the meantime, I do have two things that I'd like to leave you with. The first is, that Solomon offers us another gift. Last week I said that Solomon's first gift to us was that we had to learn that excess was a bad thing. Well, this week we've learned that that excess applies even to good things. So the first gift that Solomon gives us that I think we have to cherish is skepticism and doubt. There is no advanced wisdom without skepticism and doubt. Advanced wisdom is willing to question everything. Advanced wisdom is willing to interrogate even the good things in our lives and ask, is this good for you? And sometimes in religious settings, we think faith is the opposite of skepticism and doubt, but Solomon teaches us otherwise. Solomon teaches us that genuine faith welcomes and includes and embraces and makes space for skepticism and doubt. That includes making space for people whose faith posture is built around skepticism and doubt. It's okay. In fact, it's integral to our lives. And then the third gift I think that Solomon gives us is freedom. This really does teach us that we can be enslaved in our lives, not just by bad things, but by good things too. We talk a lot in churches about how easy it is to be enslaved to bad things. We don't talk nearly enough about how easily we can be in bondage to good things. Solomon is here to say, be free. You can be free from that. You don't have to be enslaved by a pursuit of righteousness or wisdom or knowledge. There's something else that's worth giving your life for. So if that's you, I wanna encourage you to reflect on what that might be. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and play one more worship song. And as we do, I wanna invite you to reflect on how the pursuit of good things in your life has perhaps been a form of bondage, just like the pursuit of vices. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather and to read these words and to be challenged and stretched by what they say. 
God, we confess that this is a world that is full of sorrow and frustration, and that our pursuit of goodness and righteousness and justice can sometimes lead us to be burned out. We ask that.